In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsor who makes it possible, Endress & Hauser. A global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation, Endress and Hauser, the people for process automation. Check out the Endress and Hauser HSE podcast link. That's cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. Now, that's not hard. All you smart guys out there can can remember that. You don't even have to write it down, even though we will put it in the show notes. But again, it's cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. And you need to go there so you can sign up for the monthly giveaway. It's a real high quality jacket they are offering. I know you're probably listening to this right now in the summertime, but you'll want to get in the queue for it when the fall comes and they'll throw in a koozie as well. So if you are where you can right now, you can sign up even while you're listening today. And again, the website is cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. Folks, I have two guests today on the show to discuss my second favorite upstream topic, which is water. Now, that's a teaser to see if anyone is listening on iTunes and see if they'll uh, write in and ask what's your first. But today I have with me the president of a company called Clean Chemistry, Nick Gardner, and also its CTO and one of its co-founders, Wayne Bushman. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. How y'all doing today? Doing well. Thank you. Doing great. Thanks. Well, so Wayne, you are the co-founder. So tell us about this clean chemistry and, and how you got started and what you guys are doing to improve the environment as it relates to all that dirty water out there that us terrible oil and gas people are always producing. Sure. Well, Clean Chemistry was formed in 2012, and the primary objectives were to create some new water treatment and sanitizing technologies that are safer to people, less damaging, and more environmentally friendly alternatives to some of the conventional products that are used today and have them in use for quite a number of years. And so... We've developed both method of producing some new chemistry and and developed the use of that new chemistry and, you know, competing directly with, with some of the traditional things. Chlorine, of course, has been in, in water treatment use for over 100 years now. And so it's those kinds of products that we're, we're directly competing with head to head. And we're trying to combine some of the modern tools that are available today both with operational technology and, and information technology. And combining those into a single platform allows us to produce, you know, provide safer and more efficient operations. Well, actually, that was, you just veered into kind of my next question. If you're the CTO, that's chief technological officer, correct? Correct. So we're talking about not only proprietary products, but we're also, are we talking about new or proprietary technology that goes with those products or how does this work? Well, there are a lot of available tools for automation and networking. You know, you've got cloud database 
systems for gathering data and then using that data, accessing that data. So it, we've been using a lot of these tools that are available now that weren't even around you know, 15 years ago in their current form and producing you know, and using that as a platform because our chemistry is a little different. We, we generate it on demand from some stable feedstocks. And so you need a sophisticated enough system that will provide that reliably and provide the automation to make it easy for people to use. Okay, so so Nick, let me let me ask you. I'm actually recording out of Houston. Is that where you are? I'm actually located in Midland, Russell, at our main operations center. And as you know, there's still quite a bit of activity going on over there. About 50% of the North American rigs are in the Permian Basin right now. But we do have operations going on also in the in the Haynesville Shale and in the Eagleford right now. Okay, and so when you say Haynesville Shale, you're talking East Texas and North Louisiana? That's that's exactly right. East Texas, North Louisiana. Okay, so you guys you're in you're into water chemistry. You know, before this COVID nineteen thing broke out and even now I'm beginning to get them virtual, every time I turned around I was being invited to some kind of water management conference. And I understand that, especially with fracking, it takes a whole lot of water and that can be a problem in places like, like Midland, for example. So this, this water management issue is, is a big one. In fact, water management is uh, what, when it comes to drilling a well, it's in the, maybe the, the top three costs of drilling and completing a well. But it just seems like there's 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 so much out there. You would you would think somebody would have a definitive answer to the problem, and it seems like it continues to elude everybody. Why is that? Well, if I could just say that, you know, for every single operator out there, they're they're likely using a different water source than their than their next door neighbor, and we see water from all kinds of sources, whether they be municipal water sources gray water from municipalities that otherwise, you know, would be disposed of, produced water that would have been disposed of, uh, but is now being reused for for fracturing purposes. We just see a total mix. It can come from fish ponds or it can come from stock ponds. It's amazing where the water comes from and just how many different different issues you can have with it. Now, are you guys, are you guys, are you recycling? Are you cleaning up produced water? Is that primarily what you do? So for the most part, Russell, we focus mainly on the actual treatment of water during well completions. We also do water recycling, and that has been you know, one of our, our mainstays for quite some time now. We seem to be focused on water on, on well completions right now. And as it relates to safety, I just want to bring up a few things since this is the HSE podcast. Absolutely. You know, let's discuss safety on active well sites for a bit. You know that there are any number of hazards that exist on a well pad while it's undergoing completion operations. We, we can have high pressure. We can have temperature extremes, both cold and hot. We can have flammables out there, certainly combustibles with all the diesel fuel, a noise, heavy machinery. There's traffic and congestion, large quantities of chemicals. Uh, as you might imagine, that's one of those top costs for completing a well, by the way, the chemicals and the profit being the, the largest for sure. We can have severe weather and, and 
my goodness, we can even have some critters out there. Certainly in West Texas, we have to watch out for the rattlesnakes. And so really, there's a need to stay out of harm's way. And, you know, every operator, along with their service providers, tries to do any number of things. And, and the first thing would be to reduce the number of hazards out on location. And for the hazards that they can't reduce, then they try to train the personnel to work safely around those hazards. They try to improve, you know, communication and transparency so everybody knows what's going on on location, trying to keep everyone safe and informed. Of course, you're, you know, trying to keep track of the personnel that are out there and on the road, moving back and forth, whether they're hauling sand or hauling water or whatever the case may be. And goodness gracious, with this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, they're even implementing distancing measures and, and you know, safe safe practices on location to keep people from, from catching COVID. They're monitoring and, and reducing chemical toxicity and exposure potential where possible. And they're checking on chemical compatibilities. And most importantly, they're, they're working hard to protect, you know, communities and their environment because they, have, they want to be a good neighbor. And Absolutely. So, and so what, what we're trying to do out there with our chemistry and what the operators want us to do is, you know, we're, we're providing automation and a network system that is trying to handle that water treatment for them. So in other words, we're digitizing what would normally have been a historically manual oil field operation. We're producing chemistry out on location in a little mini factory that is, it's providing an excellent safety and compatibility profile. We're removing risks by combining our technology with other chemistry out there and, and all compatible, and we're reducing corrosion and damage to equipment. So whenever we think about water treatment, you have to think about you know, all of the ancillary things that can go with it. It's not just about the water treatment itself. It's not just about the completion. You have to think about reducing all of those potential hazards that can go along with that, that treatment technology. Because again, you want to be a good neighbor out there. Well, and so along those lines, you have a proprietary product called Peroximax. Wayne, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, Russell, you can think of Proximax as, as kind of a unique flavor of, of a peroxide-based chemistry, so it's inherently not chlorinated or halogenated. And we've formulated it and, and produced it in a way that it really optimizes its production of what's called reactive oxygen species. Called what? Reactive oxygen species. That sounds impressive. Okay, tell us about reactive oxygen species. I'm assuming when you say that this this thing is peroxide-based rather than the conventional chlorine-based, there's some maybe ecological and even economical advantages to that? That's right. And then with this you know fancy chemistry behind it, this reactive oxygen chemistry, it kind of supercharges it so that we can use less of it. And so how does this reactive oxygen... Is that a product of, or is that a, a result of the product, or, or can you explain that a little, little sure. further? Yeah. So reactive oxygen that we're talking about, they're typically 
oxygen radicals or excited state oxygen that has a lot higher reactivity than the oxygen we're breathing right now. So it makes them better for microbial control and for oxidizing certain kinds of contaminants. And we focus on a particular one that is an excited state oxygen, otherwise known as singlet oxygen, and that gets a little bit techy on that end of it. But I think more people are familiar with hydroxyl radicals and ozone. Those both fall into that category of reactive oxygen. And so these are all very short-lived oxygen compounds because they're very reactive and they find something to react with pretty quickly and they're gone. And so you need to deliver those from a parent that releases the reactive oxygen. And so our, our chemistry, you can put it into water that you're treating and then over time it's releasing some active oxygen that helps kill microbes in this case. So that's your technology behind it. Nick, so we were talking about all the different water technologies out there and everything. If, if, if I understand it correctly, one of the things that's unique to yours is, and I think you say on your website, you say it's tunable. So because of the various different kinds of water that you're dealing with, you actually kind of take it on a case-by-case basis? That's correct. And what we do, Russell, is once we uh, get out on location and can grab a sample of water, we determine what kind of concentration of Peroximax or other chemicals we'll need in order to treat the water effectively and still remain cost-effective. And so, you know, we might we might run several parts per million of Peroximax, let's say 10 parts per million for, for one type of water might have to go up to 14 parts per million of Proximax for another type of water. As you, can, as you can tell, I'm talking in parts per million, so I'm talking about very low doses. And the fact that it's tunable to that degree really helps us uh, remain as a, a way to treat microbes for the operator in a manner that can be cost-effective for them. And you know, it's interesting. We also, upon occasion, use conventional biocides in conjunction with our oxidizer technology. And, and again, in both an effort to both be cost effective and to help target the bacteria that they're trying to control. In an oil and gas setting, what the customer wants to make sure that they do is not create colonies of either sulfur reducing bacteria or acid-producing bacteria downhole. They don't want SRBs because they don't want to create H2S with their production. And they don't want APBs, the acid-producing bacteria, because they don't want to corrode their tubulars. And so we find that a, a targeting of those particular bacteria with our technology can really, really help out a customer do it economically and correctly, as a matter of fact. Now we have, there, there are plenty of competing oxidation technologies on the market. The, the main players would be chlorine dioxide. You might've heard of that as ClO2, parasitic acid, otherwise known as PAA. We talked about bleach as, as one of the, the, the things that you can use in a, as an oxidizer out there. The unfortunate thing is that some of these carry some baggage with them in terms of being hazardous. Chlorine dioxide is delivered as a gas, a chlorine gas, chlorine gas being 
pretty dangerous. And then parasitic acid is an acid and it, it is corrosive. Also, also quite smelly as an, as an aside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yours isn't smelly. Ours is not fuming and not smelly. That's correct. So whenever you think about water treatment for completions, you know, you've got involvement from a variety of different chemicals, process equipment, and operations. And for a frac operation, that's going to include microbial control, you know, trying to get those bacteria. Scale control, you don't want the water that you're putting down there to react with the water that is already in the formation and form scale. Iron control, which is a, another type of scale, of course. And all of that is combined on location to help that operator basically do some preventive maintenance on their well while they're constructing it. So what you're, what you're trying to do, again, at least from the bacteria side, is reduce that bacteria count to a level that won't sustain a colony of either the APBs or the SRBs. And you can do it in a cost-effective manner because let's let's face it, a lot of this problem with water management and all these technologies and everything, uh, you have to deal with the economics of the thing. That's exactly right. And and let me tell you, there's lots of stuff in the water besides bacteria that an ineffective treatment can get used up on. You know, if you have fungus or algae or yeast in that water. And, and quite frankly, we see that quite a bit, especially with whenever operators are using surface waters. In other words, water from a bayou or a stream or a stock pond for their fracturing. Those organisms aren't causing you any issues downhole, but they do consume the bactericides and they do consume the oxidizers for the most part. And so what you want to do is have a treatment that is really specific to the bacteria as much as you can. And the other thing that, that we think is important for operators is to be able to get some real-time feedback on how effective their operations are, how effective is that bacteria treatment. And we do a lot with that whenever we're checking ATP readings on location, and we're also looking at ORP, oxidation reduction potential. Because whenever our treatment technology is working correctly, we're staying in an oxidation reduction potential range that has shown to be, over the past years, effective for controlling bacteria. And then, of course, follow-up testing after the well's been completed, just to point out and make sure that the operator doesn't have a problem that they'll be combating later by way of a workover or some other type of remediation always important as well. Well, guys, a couple of more things, because this all sounds very fascinating. I'm sure there's much more information about it on your website. So we will put the website down in the show notes, which I believe is cleankimi, C-H-E-M-I, cleankimi.com, correct? That is correct. And then we'll also put yours and Wayne's URL, LinkedIn, contact info in the show notes in case anybody wants to contact you guys directly. I noticed that when we were talking earlier, you said you were primarily in, of course, the Permian. Then you mentioned the Eagleford, and then we talked about the, the Haynesville. A couple of things. One, the Haynesville, of course, we're talking about gas, correct? Yes, sir. And I noticed, of course, I don't have any idea when anybody will be listening to this podcast, but it just so happens that as we record right now, 
one of the news headlines is, is how Warren Buffett has just bought out Dominion to increase his natural gas asset holdings. So just FYI for everybody, that may be a very positive sign. Yes. However, gas is going to be with us for quite some time. Yeah. And I'm surprised the fact that Buffett's gotten behind it. And I'm surprised it hasn't been more of a factor already. I know that was uh, something that, that other companies tried to push back before we all crashed in 2014. In fact, speaking of crashing, you talked about half of the drillings going on in the Permian, and yet about half of the drilling has ceased in the Permian. How are you guys surviving? Well, we are surviving as any other startup would. We are, you know, shaking every bush and looking under every rock. And I tell you, one of the things that we actually just started getting into here recently is some cooling tower work at a power plant. We currently have a unit working over at a power plant in West Texas, treating the cooling tower water for bacteria. And that was as a replacement for bleach. There are certain just like in the oil field where there's advantages to having a good clean water that is free from contaminants, the same goes for cooling towers. So that, that's one of the things that, that's very int- interesting for us. And, and here's a really interesting thing as well, Russell. We don't do this in oil and gas operations, but our unit that produces the Proximax is so automated that for cooling tower operations, it's just run remotely. Well, there's another there's another safety factor. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So here we go. Somebody primarily starting up to serve the oil and gas industry, and they're concerned about the environment, and they're concerned about safety, and they're bringing it to other industries. Score one, score one for the good guys. You know, I just I don't think our the positive aspects of our industry get properly presented. And they certainly don't get presented often enough. So good for you guys and good for your diversification, good for your, your thinking outside the box. I really appreciate you guys coming on today. And as always, appreciate everyone for listening in. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Indris and Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Indris and Hauser at cx.indris.com forward slash HSE dash podcast. And as we mentioned at the beginning, you can register for our monthly podcast giveaway there. Follow us on LinkedIn at Indris and Hauser Group and on Twitter at Indris underscore U.S., As always, you can find all these links in the show notes. Please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us. See ya. Thanks, Russell. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. 
We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.